That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you so much for your warm welcome already. I, I always feel like a privilege to come and visit another church and immediately, though we don't know each other, we're family. And I think there's something very profound in that. So thank you for your welcome this morning. Can we just pray together before we look into God's word? Father God, in the busyness of life, in the chaos of our days, Help us this morning to be still, to know that you are God, to know that your word plants roots deep within us that we need in order to survive. So pray that by your spirit you be with us here this morning. In your name, amen. amen. When was the last time you were amazed? The last time you had that childlike wonder because the older we get the more cynical I think we become I see a few nods but I want you to cast your mind back to the first time a song moved you to tears or maybe a song that compelled you to dance I don't know or when you finish the film and the credits are rolling and you sit there motionless stunned you need time to process what you've just watched. Or maybe the first time you walk up the steps at Anfield or Goodison or Prenton Park and you see the floodlight shining on the green pitch and it's the greenest green you've ever seen. Now the moment of awe and wonder that stands out for me was when I was 16 years old. Now, at that point in my life, my passions included my PlayStation and going to the Liverpool match and not much else. And I turned up to yet another English lesson, like I'd done thousands of times before, 
And then it happened. My teacher started reading a poem, a title that I'll never forget because it's so strange. The title of this poem was The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And from sitting there like this, my ears started to prick and my heart was moved. Because you see, every word in this poem articulated my experiences. They captured exactly how I was feeling. And I didn't know that words could invade those areas of my soul that I thought were tightly locked away. So I walked out of the classroom and I nudged my friend Matty Russell in the ribs and I said, that poem was amazing, wasn't it? It was like a moment of confession because boys of 16 aren't supposed to like poetry. (laughs) But he agreed. And at that moment, both of our lives were shaped by the awe and the wonder we just encountered. I went back to be an English teacher in that very school. And he went on to study English and do a master's at university because of that moment. But I want us to be honest this morning and we've just had the Lord's Prayer read to us. And I think that it's unlikely that the words in the Lord's Prayer amaze us anymore. Because how often have we said it in our lives? I wonder if we were to do a poll thousands, tens of thousands of times. And I think when we say it now, when I say it now, I say it like a robot. The words roll off the tongue, yet our minds are often elsewhere. And our hearts are likely numb to the reality of what Jesus is saying. We're like me in that English lesson, bored and apathetic. So I've got two aims this morning in the 20 minutes or so that we'll look at this passage. Firstly, I want the opening line of this prayer. That's where we're going to spend our time. I want the opening line of this prayer, a line we think we know, to leave us all in a state of awe and wonder at our God. And then secondly, I want that feeling of awe and wonder to fundamentally transform your life and my life as we move into our Monday mornings. So, to begin with, I just want to briefly set this prayer in its proper context. You see, Jesus speaks these words in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of what's considered one of the greatest public speeches ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. But what I want you to note is who he's speaking to. Who was there as Jesus delivers these words? Just flick back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I think some of these words might be on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, tells us who Jesus is speaking to. Let me read. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him, who? All the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Who are these words for according to the passage? Well, I think it's pretty evident that these people who are listening to these words are broken. People who are outcasts, people who've maybe messed up. Now, I just want you to hear this this morning that Jesus is for you, no matter how you've walked into church this morning, no matter what the state of your heart is. Maybe you've walked in feeling discouraged, guilty, unworthy. But I want you to remember that Jesus speaks these words to people who feel just like that. Remember that Jesus himself said, he's come to seek and to save the lost. So, Jesus begins this prayer this famous prayer, with the words, Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, my aim is to create awe and wonder. And in order to do so, we're going to have to go back. So we're going to do a bit of flicking in this morning's sermon, so get ready. But I would like you to firstly turn to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And just please stay with me for the next 10, 15 minutes as we, as we unpack why this opening line is so extraordinary. Now, this story in Exodus chapter 3 is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Let me read. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Now when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I want us to firstly look at the bush. You see, the bush, according to the passage, it's burning, yet it's not consumed consumed. Now Moses is really confused as he looks at this. He's never seen anything like this before. Now we know that fire needs fuel. Fire can't exist without fuel. That's why you add more coal or you add more logs to the fire. And when they've been through, well, what happens? The fire ceases to exist. But, but this is different. You see, this flame exists separately to the bush. The angel of the Lord who appears in this bush 
is set apart from it. Now, the angel of the Lord doesn't need anything else to exist. He's self-dependent. And the word we might use here and the word that we sung earlier in the service is that he is holy. He is set apart. He is other. Now this intrigues Moses. It's like when you see something strange, you move closer to inspect it. I was at the test match at Old Trafford yesterday and I was up in the rafters and the players on the pitch looked like little ants as they were bowling and batting at each other. So we had our binoculars because we wanted to get a closer look of the pitch and it's similar with Moses here. He wants to get a closer look at this intriguing bush and as he steps forward, God responds, look at verse 4. Moses, Moses. Now, in the Bible, when God repeats a person's name, it's often known as repetition of endearment. So, for example, in the Old Testament, God says, Abraham, Abraham, or Samuel, Samuel. Even Jesus in the New Testament, who's God, he does it. He says, Peter, Peter, Martha, Martha. And when God does this in the Bible, it's out of love. Repetition of endearment. Now, if that's the case, that God repeats a person's name out of love, then we might expect him to welcome Moses' approach. Moses, Moses, come near. But look at what God says. Do not come near. You see, Moses can't approach God. And by nature, neither can we. Now, when we think of God's holiness, it can be helpful to think of the sun in the sky because the sun in the sky is life-giving. We need it in order to survive. Without the sun, we'd be in darkness. The sun is good. It keeps us safe. Yet, try approaching it. We can't get near it. Our bodies aren't capable of enduring its presence. Now, this does not make the sun evil or bad. It simply highlights our weakness. And it's similar with God in this instance. Moses can't approach, not because God is bad, but because he's so good, because he's holy. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan asks Mr. Beaver about Aslan and he says, is he safe? To which Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now just look at Moses at the end of this passage. What does he do? He hides. Why would you hide in this situation? Fear, insecurity, terror, feelings of guilt. Moses is aware that he's standing on holy ground. And this moment here with Moses is reminiscent of the moment that this separation between God and man began in Genesis. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They choose to trust themselves. They choose to reject God's good design and as a result they too feel ashamed they are exposed and they like Moses can no longer be in God's presence what do they do they run 
they hide. And ultimately, this beautiful and intended friendship between God and humanity is severed. Just look in Genesis chapter 3 for us. should come on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, where we see this moment of separation. The Lord God sent Adam out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden, just notice this, he placed the cherubim. That's going to be important detail in a minute. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Just look at that language of separation in that passage. We have been sent out, driven out from God's presence. And if we try and restore this relationship ourselves, if we try and work our way back, what will we be met by? The cherubim and their swords. And what's their purpose according to the verses? Well, it's to guard the way. The road to the Father has been closed by the Father himself. But can I show you something? Please turn to 1 Kings chapter 6. Now I can't wait to show you this. You know those moments when you're reading the Bible and you're reminded that it's like this beautiful jigsaw where all the pieces fit together? I've been praying this week that this will be one of those moments for you. Now, as we read this passage, initially you're going to be saying, why on earth have we turned here? But stay with me, I promise. 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 to 28. And we here have a description of the temple that Solomon is building. Verse 23. In the inner sanctuary... He made two what? Cherubim. Of olive wood, each ten cubits high. Five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was ten cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub, lots of cherubs, also measured ten cubits. Both cherubim had the same measure and the same form. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, and so was that of the other cherub. Look at this, verse 27. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house. Keep that logged. And the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that a wing of one touched the one wall and a wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their other wings touched each other in the middle of the house and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. What's all that about? Well, in the Old Testament, the high priest would once a year enter, look at verse 27, the innermost part of the temple. Now this was often known as the Holy of Holies. This was where the Ark of the Covenant was and this was where God himself dwelt. This was where the high priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, I can't emphasize, and I don't think we can ever fully appreciate how terrifying this would have been. 
Do you remember Adam and Eve? What did they do? They ran from God. Moses, he hides his face. And it was the priest who was the only one who dared enter. And even then, he did so according to the Bible with bells attached to his feet. So that if they stopped ringing, those listening outside would know what had happened. Now, what is separating the high priest from God? Well, there are two things. Firstly, one that I think you'll know of. There's a curtain veil, which acted as a physical representation of the barrier that exists between man and God. And secondly, it's these images of cherubim. Now, why are these cherubim important? Well, they represent the garden of the cherubim who are guarding the way, guarding the path to God. Do you see the parallel between the two? You see, in the Old Testament, there's a kind of way to God, but it's so restricted and it's so limited and it's terrifying but it couldn't stay that way forever. It couldn't stay that way forever. Because if it did, then we here this morning have no hope. The way was guarded. But a way was made. What did Jesus say? I am the way. He said that no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, maybe, maybe we all know a person who says that they'll do something, but they don't follow through. Maybe that person's you. I know at times that person can be me, but let me tell you this morning, Jesus isn't like you, and he isn't like me. Jesus is set apart. Jesus is holy. Jesus is God. And when he said that he's the way, and when he said that no one will be able to come to the Father except through him, he followed through on that statement. He did what no one else could do. In love. And by the way, this love is a love that even the greatest writers can't adequately adequately describe. It's a love that extends to all people. It's a love that we don't deserve. In love, Jesus died as a sacrifice instead of you and instead of me. Why? Matthew Chapter 27, verse 50. It'll be on the screen. We get our reason as to why. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Why does Jesus do this? It's to make a way for us to be reunited with God. The high priest, you see, no longer has to make a sacrifice on the behalf of the people year after year after year because Jesus himself was the ultimate sacrifice. Do you remember Jesus' final words on the cross? It is finished. The restriction is gone. Jesus became the better high priest. We no longer have to hide our face like Moses. 
We no longer have to feel the shame and the guilt of Adam and Eve. We no longer have to run. Why? Because God ran to us. Look at the verse again. This is astonishing to me. How does the curtain rip? From the top to the bottom. To indicate that it was God who made a way through his son. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves and get back to God. If there was, the curtain would have been torn from the bottom to the top. But it wasn't. And two of the gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, they want to make it very clear that this detail is included in their account for that reason. That it's not you and it's not me, but it's God who made a way. The curtain is torn in two and the cherubim have put their swords away. And so we return to the opening line of this remarkable prayer. Jesus, speaking to broken people, instructs us to begin our prayers with our Father. Just dwell on that for a moment. How can we say that this morning? in light of who we are in front of a holy God. As I finish this morning, I want you to remember one phrase because I don't want you to just leave here thinking about how incredible and undeserved it is to have access to God as Father. I've been praying that this week that this truth would transform your Monday morning and beyond. So if you've got a pen, I want you to write this down. If you've got a phone, I want you to type this in. If you've got a good memory, that'll do too. So this is the phrase that I want to stay in your brain, and then I'll explain it. This week, pray what's in front of you. I'll say it again. Pray what's in front of you. Here's what I mean. If you're anything like me, I often pray to God at scheduled times, maybe before my dinner or at night time or when something important is coming up. And if I'm honest, and maybe if you're honest with yourself this morning, hours, maybe even days can tick by and I'm just moving through life without speaking to God, without getting help from God, without reminding myself of who God is. Now, I was with my two nephews on, on Friday. They are five and they are three. And do you know what I noticed? They don't schedule appointments to talk with their dad. They ask questions, lots of questions, any time of day or night. And the dad answers. He sometimes gives explanations to things. But sometimes he says, you're going to have to trust me. I know what's best for you. They tell their dad exactly how they are feeling, whether that's sad, angry, happy, confused, anxious, scared. And their dad, he'll remind them of how much he loves them as they're feeling those feelings. He'll give them good, wise advice. And he doesn't tell them off for how they feel. But he points them to Jesus, to the one who became like us, to the one who felt like us, 
to the one who knows. They ask for help because they recognize their weakness and they want to learn and grow. They say sorry because they make mistakes, their children. Their dad talks over with them and he forgives them and he shows them grace and mercy. I wonder this morning if we can look to my five and three-year-old nephew as an example. How much can we learn from children? We should be children who speak to our father about whatever is in front of us. And this week, praying what's in front of you might look like this. Some examples. You wake up tomorrow morning and you're in a comfy bed and you say, Father, thank you for this bed that's just beautiful and comfy and thank you that even though I was unconscious for the last eight hours and I had I did done absolutely nothing to make myself be alive today that you've given me this new day father thank you maybe then you get into your hot shower and you you stop for a moment you think I get in this hot shower every day and I never stop to think that I've just got water on demand and not everyone has this and it's like a, a beautiful thing and you say thank you father for this act of kindness that you give me every day maybe you're going to work tomorrow and there's a colleague who you struggle to just be around them, they, they frustrate you and you say, Father, I need patience today with this person and I don't have it in me, but I remember that you've been so patient with me, so please give me that supernatural patience that I can't have within myself. Maybe there's a family member or a friend this week who you just wish that they knew Jesus and you've prayed that prayer a thousand times, a thousand times. He say, Father, I'm going to pray it once more because I know that you tore the curtain and I know that you alone can save. So I'm going to keep praying. Maybe tomorrow or this week you're in the driveway on the way home from work and all you want to do is get in the house and sit on the couch and put on your favorite box set and be selfish. But you know the kids maybe are inside and the drawer on the walls and they're going to need your attention. And you say, Father, help me be selfless, not selfish. Help me to love in the way that you love me. Maybe this week you're playing sport or watching sport and you say, Father, thank you for the ability to run, to move. Thank you for the gift of sport that I can enjoy with friends and family and colleagues. Father, help me to encourage my teammates. Help me to respect the referee even when no one else is. Help me to use these gifts for your glory. Maybe this week praying what's in front of you looks like walking slowly. We walk fast, don't we? Too fast. We don't walk slowly enough to observe the world to observe the beauty of creation. It's an absolute, we, we drove into the car park this morning and couldn't believe there was, a, we've actually got a picnic and we're gonna go to the beach after the service. It's beautiful, but to stop on a Sunday morning and to, before you walk into church, to just look at the beach and to say, Father, you're an incredible artist and you've, you've painted things in this world purely for our hearts to just point upwards and say, wow, to give you glory, Father, thank you. Maybe this week you're in the house on your own and you're tempted 
and you say, Father, I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, and I don't know, I'm going to going to stave off this temptation but i remember father that jesus was tempted so i know that he understands what it's like so father please help me in this moment maybe this week praying what's in front of you looks like the food on the end of your fork and you don't just mindlessly pray that prayer before you eat again and again dear lord thank you for this food amen i'm too hungry i want to eat maybe you stop and you think and you say father i've actually done very little for this food to get onto this fork I didn't grow it. I didn't bring it out of the ground. I didn't package it or deliver it. Maybe I didn't even cook it. And yet here I am again, another meal, eating this food. And Father, you didn't just give us food as something to kind of sustain us. You actually made it taste nice. (sighs) Maybe this week you're uncertain about your future. Maybe you've had exam results and you're unsure what to do with those results. Maybe you're unsure about where to go to university. Maybe you're thinking about applying for a new job or a promotion. Do I go part-time? When should I retire? What should I do in my retirement? And you say, I'm uncertain here. I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I know, Father, you're sovereign and you see the whole breadth of time I'm going to trust you and I'm going to ask you Father for your wisdom maybe this week praying what's in front of you is when you're with your friends or family and you're laughing do you know those belly laughs that you have sometimes occasionally with your friends and your family where your shoulders are kind of moving up and down and you can't contain your joy and you say Father that even in the chaos of life There are these moments of joy that you give us every now and then. Moments that echo an eternal joy that's to come. Maybe you're sick. Or you know someone who's sick and who's unwell. And this week, you pray and you say, Father, I'd love to be healed. I would love for them to be healed. Please heal me. You can heal. We've read it even in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Jesus, he healed these people but father if if not please remind me or remind them of where they're going in christ a place where sickness and death are locked out whatever is in front of you this week pray like a child to their father paul tells us that we should pray without ceasing he also says that in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be known to god and solomon the wise one he instructs us to acknowledge god in all our ways we can pray whatever's in front of us because of jesus we shouldn't be able to say our father but we can and Jesus tells us to so let's do it this week pray what's in front of you because the curtain is torn in two the cherubim have flown away there's no need to hide there's no need to run Jesus has made a way let me pray
Father God, we thank you that despite our situation before you where we could not be in your presence because of your holiness and our sin, in love you, you, you didn't want it to stay that way and Jesus, a real person who lived on this earth, came and died in our place for our sins so the curtain could be torn, so the cherubim would fly away, so that we could be not just friends with you but family. We could be your sons and daughters and call you father at any point. And we come to you with our requests this week, knowing that you're a God who doesn't sigh when we come to you. You're a God who's there waiting with open arms, ready to listen, ready to help, ready to remind us of who you are. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.